You're listening to CRST, the podcast from Bryn Mawr Communications. Hello, and welcome to this episode of International Perspectives on Chronic Ocular Surface Pain. I'm your host, Anak Galore, and on this series, clinicians from all over the world are going to discuss chronic ocular surface pain, what it is, its underlying causes, and how to treat it. In this episode, we'll kick things off with a review of what chronic ocular surface pain is and isn't, and we'll discuss how it might present in the clinic. With this in mind, let's begin. I'd like to introduce you to Dr. and Professor Mark Labatoul, who practices at the South Paris-Saclay University Hospital. Dr. Labatoul, how are you? I'm fine, thank you, and it's a great pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. And also joining us today is Dr. and Professor James Wolfson, who practices at Ashton University in Birmingham, England. Dr. Wolfson, thanks for joining us. My absolute pleasure. All right, well, let's kick off with some really important questions. I think before we dive into the topic, the first question is really definitions. So James, we have these concepts and acronyms out there, ocular neuropathic pain, chronic ocular surface pain, and I think it's important for everyone to understand what we're talking about. So in your mind, how do you define these two concepts, ONP and COSP? That's ocular neuropathic pain and chronic ocular surface pain. Okay, so certainly when we're talking about these terms, we've got the sort of generic terms of pain and everybody defines pain very differently. So it's really important to explore that. But when we add the word neuropathic, we're looking at things that involve corneal nerve damage. So often these are much more sustained insult of the cornea that can lead to very significant pain, um, much more than the proportion of what you see in terms of aspects such as their tear films. So I understand the concepts, but they sound so similar. Is it really that important to make the distinction between ONP and COSP? That is when it's ocular neuropathic pain versus chronic ocular surface pain. James, do you want to take that one as a follow-up? Sure, certainly to me, because it really helps in the explanation to patients about the level of pain that they're describing to us. Um, people are hoping for a, a simple treatment that's going to remove this pain. But obviously, if the nerves are involved, that's far more significant. And this is going to be a longer term uh, chronic management of that person um, and different approaches can be applied. I love that. Well, with that in mind, Mark, can you talk a little bit about the basic elements of anatomy as they relate to chronic ocular surface pain? Are the same players involved in all cases of chronic ocular surface pain? We have to keep in mind that uh, first the cornea is um, the site where there is a very huge concentration of nociceptors and uh, this very huge concentration is, of course, um, a, a good reason to be uh, painful for the cornea when uh, the, this tissue is uh, injured. Um, we may have some nociceptive pain when the nociceptors are triggered by um, uh, damage, like uh, an injury, uh, an ulcer, an inflammation. And um, this pain can be either um, uh, acute or chronic, depending on how much is uh, long-lasting the um, origin of the tissue damage. But at the same time, a neuropathic pain 
can um, appear because of the sensitization of the nociceptors. And this sensitization is uh, due, if you want to summarize, uh, to a, a chronic modification of the nociceptors, primarily uh, triggered by the inflammation. And uh, in that case, it will be called the peripheral sensitization because the neuropathic pain is at the level of the, the cornea and the first neuron orders. However, there can be also a central sensitization because of the um, autonomous excitation of the second order neurons up upper, uh, upper in the, um, the trigeminal pathways. And in that case, it will be uh, the central uh, neuropathic pain for which the, tr the treatment uh, will be systemic because in that case, uh, treating the ocular surface will not reduce the, the, the level of pain. I love that. And I think that you said that so eloquently. What I tell my patients that come in with any form of chronic ocular surface pain is that I love it because I get to be a detective. It turns out that pain isn't generated by one thing in any of the players on the eye, around the eye, in the nerves that connect to eye to the brain can be generators of pain. And as we know, humans are complex and it doesn't necessarily only have to be one player. You can have a little touch of this and a little touch of that. And that just, again, highlights how important it is to define these terms and think about the components that underlie the terms because it is complex and we really have an opportunity to be the detectives and figure out what's underlying pain. May I ask you um, uh, a question? I know that you are a great specialist of neuropathic pain and, and cost. What are your uh, tips and tricks to uh, make the difference between what is uh, nociceptive pain, what is a peripheral sensitization or peripheral neuropathic pain versus central or mixed? Um, can you can you explain us and give you uh, give us some uh, clear advices about how the, the the best way to diagnose these patients? Absolutely, and I wish I had better answers because it's still a process and evolution. But in general. I start with what the patient is telling me, and I look for some clues that there could be a neuropathic contribution. So I find that if someone tells me that they'll describe their pain as burning, or if they tell me they have sensitivity to light, that kind of pricks up my interest and says, okay, this could be neuropathic. Then I look at who they are, and there are certain things on the past medical history that also points me to say, hmm, there could be a neuropathic component, things like comorbid migraine and fibromyalgia. I've noticed, and other people have beautifully published on this, the chronic pain conditions tend to travel together. On the clinical exam, and I do believe that we need to have a good but quick clinical exam, I'm just looking overall for an a, um, inconsistency between symptoms and signs, with symptoms outweighing the signs. And then I look for features like persistent pain after anesthesia. And this is where it becomes a little tricky because you need to talk to your technicians about not putting in anesthetic prior to seeing the patient because that can change the ocular surface exam and it can make this test um, not valid because obviously once the preparing has gone in, it's hard to assess. But the key is they have to have some sort of pain before the test and you put a, a drop of preparing. And if the pain completely goes away, then you're thinking it's nociceptive or peripheral neuropathic pain. Nociceptive pain means that something in the environment is appropriately triggering the nerves, like aqueous tear deficiency. 
And if the pain persists, then you think at least one component is either central or non-ocular. And the other thing I do is it's a very expensive test. I take my finger and I touch around the eye. And if they have pain to light touch, I call that cutaneous allodynia. And the, those last two tests, persistent pain after anesthesia, cutaneous allodynia, and actually the presence of photosensitivity all point me not only to neuropathic, but to central neuropathic. So that is my quick and um, somewhat easy, not expensive way of uh, using the test that I have to differentiate, although it's not perfect. And this is something that we're continuously evolving. So getting back to some of the questions, do you get a sense of how these patients come to you? So who, who are you seeing? Are you the only one seeing chronic ocular surface pain? Are your colleagues seeing them? Who, who is actually treating this condition in your respective institutions? So certainly for me, a lot of them actually come from the internet, bizarrely. So they're talking to each other on Facebook and, and other groups. Often they've been around the system multiple times, seeing multiple people who try and uh, treat the, um, the cornea, but not considering the, the neuropathic element of it. Um, so they tend to end up in your office when you've treated other people um, and um, they perhaps like what they're getting and, and therefore come and, and see you. And certainly in terms of who needs to be involved, uh, eye care practitioners, particularly the, the ophthalmologist um, for treatment of the ocular surface and also in terms of the uh, anti-inflammatory aspects. But of course, this goes wider than that. Um, and many of them will need things like systemic analgesics or antidepressives or antipsychotics. Um, so it actually is much more the holistic care, which is important. And, and who's prescribing those? Do you have a pain specialist, a neurologist? Do you work with PCPs? That's primary care physicians? Yeah, so certainly in the UK, that would be via the GP. Um, so that wouldn't uh, be in, in sort of normal eye care. And ideally, in, in a hospital setting, yes, you would have a, a specialist in, in pain management that you can refer to. What about in Paris? How, who treats these patients in Paris, Mark? Yeah, in, in France, it is quite similar to what said uh, James. I, I really believe that the, the first order um, um, person to um, to take this, this patient into consideration are the eye care providers, of course, not, not only for the diagnosis, but the, the, for the first-line treatments. And most of the first-line treatments are um, uh, clearly uh, the job of the eye care providers. But at a certain time, can become difficult to use some molecules who are not used with um, uh, some of them. I, I, I am thinking about, for example, the serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors in my, in my case. So in, when I'm not able to manage the case alone, I will uh, work with the pain specialist for the treatments and I will work with the neurologist for the diagnosis. In my hospital, this is... Uh, uh, there is a um, um, difference between the, the two teams uh, because we have a team that is very uh, specialized in um, uh, small fibers diseases. So they are very, very good in making the diagnosis uh, of such patients. But for the, the, the management and the treatment, the pain specialists are very, very good uh, using not only molecules, but also our cognitive therapies, and uh, non-medicamentous, um, uh, non-pharmacological non, um, treatment. 
So do you think patients are able to access the care? Does it take them a while to get to you or to get to the, to the proper care? How easy is it for patients with chronic ocular surface pain to find a home? If I can continue, I would say that in France, it is diff very uh, difficult for some of the patients to find the, the, the right eye care specialist, unfortunately, uh, because um, um, either they have been treated by the GP, and in that case, the diagnosis most of the time of cusp and uh, of course of neuropathic pain is completely um, uh, missed. And uh, when they go to a, a general ophthalmologist that are not aware about this, um, this uh, disease, the diagnosis can be made very late. So I have uh, made a, a study in, in my team and I've, I have seen that most of the patient come to our um, um, come to the doctors in our team uh, after four to five other eye care providers. Wow. So it's, it's, it's a long journey for them. Do you find the same things are happening in the UK? Yeah, very similar to as Mark describes. So they've been through the, the system multiple times. They've been to multiple different providers. Uh, as Mark says, particularly if they end up with the GP initially, then um, the, the diagnosis often is, is still hidden. You, you talked about being a detective. Um, and of course, we specialize in, in eye care. So um, our focus is that GPs is not. Um, so yeah, often they have been through many providers and I wouldn't be surprised if, if the average is four to five as Mark found. Just an earlier recognition that you could be treating or dealing with a neuropathic component to pain hopefully will trigger a referral maybe a little earlier than four to five. So let's hope. I remember a publication we made in, in Europe in uh, across five European countries in, in five different languages, each for uh, each country. And uh, the patients um, described that the longer was the journey, the, the, the worse was the perception of the disease. It, it was clearly uh, correlated with the number of doctors that had been seen before the diagnosis was made. It was in the dry disease, but the, with, with uh, uh, important pain. So it was something like cost at that moment, even if the word was not said in the publication. I think that was some really great information. I think it's time to take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to talk about how COSP might present in the clinic. So thank you very much. And we're back. The table has been set for what COSP is, but now I'd like to hear about how it has presented in your respective clinics. And so I talked a little bit about my experiences and the things that I look for in presenting symptoms. So for me, COSP is any patient that tells me they have any form of eye pain for greater than three months. And that can be dryness, burning, aching, fatigue. The eye is an organ that's not supposed to be felt. So if people are feeling their eyes and that's often impacting their quality of life, that's COSP. So for me, it's not just about identifying that there is a pain component, it's also identifying when there could be a neuropathic pain component. So James, maybe you can start and tell me, when someone comes in, what are they most often complaining of? And what are the symptoms that you look for to, to say there could be a neuropathic component? I guess I'm wondering, in, is neuropathic pain in the US described differently than in the UK and, and Paris? And it's not crazy. I mean, you know, people use different words in different countries. So I'm wondering what you have experienced. 
Yeah, so the symptoms are very similar to as you described them previously. I mean, obviously, these patients do tend to talk about the dryness of their eyes, the burning, um, and particularly the environmental conditions that can exacerbate the problem still further. So lots of time on screens, etc. But I think the real difference with the neuropathic element is that disproportionality of the symptoms compared to the signs. And often they know that because they've been around various people who have fairly dismissed what they're um, describing, because actually when they look at the ocular surface, there aren't the signs there. But like you, it's also then the other things they talk about. And, and quite often when someone comes to an eye care practitioner, they think that we're only interested in eyes. But actually when you start to explore about other um, health issues they've got, the fibromyalgia, the, the pains and aches in other parts of their body, then you start to see that actually there's a broader neuropathic element. And so Mark, how do people describe pain in France? Well, in France, I think we have quite the same words and in, in the other languages, uh, burning, electric shocks, tingling, uh, sensation of pins, needles in the eye. Um, these are the words that are used for uh, cause pain, neuropathic pain, but this, this is all, these also are the words that are used for usual dry disease, for example. So what, is, what makes the difference, as say James, and as you say, Anat, is the disproportion between the level of symptoms and what we observed on the eye surf, ocular surface. Another point that I, I really take into consideration is the impact on the activities. Uh, either personal or professional, because uh, unless uh, we believe that uh, at the beginning the patient was had a psychotic disease, most of the time when the patient is telling that he has stopped his work or almost and he has no more activities with other people, most of the time it means that there is a real problem that we have um, underdiagnosed. I think that's beautifully said in the sense that as eye care providers, we're so focused on doing an exam and seeing something. And I think that for this disease entity, we have to be comfortable with other clues. So if a patient is telling you that they have eye pain, again, described in any of these ways, then they have eye pain. And we have to give it a name and find an etiology, even if we don't see something on first pass. And I think that for eye care providers is a really um, tough paradigm shift because we're so visually dependent. And I think that it's really important to ask about limitations of activities of daily living because I have patients that tell me I don't go out of the house anymore. I sit in a dark room and you know, that's something that needs to be addressed and we can't blow it off and say your ocular surface looks fine. So uh, I really echo your comments because I feel like despite the different uh, countries, patients are coming in very similarly. So when they see you, James, what are they typically on? What, what have they tried? And what generally do they say has worked, hasn't worked? How do patients look? You mentioned four or five clinicians before they see you. Uh, they're on everything. <laughs> so yeah, they have um, been around various practitioners. They've uh, tried all sorts of things. Normally by this stage, they're fairly desperate. Um, so they will try absolutely uh, anything that's going, most of it targeted at the, the cornea. Um, so the drops, the warm compresses, they've tried IPL, um, they've tried various um, pharmaceutical approaches as well, and they are just desperate for a, a solution. And also um, often they describe that they have been rather dismissed 
um, by some practitioners because of that mismatch between their symptoms and signs and, and sometimes are almost apologetic that they're sort of bothering you but despite the fact they don't have these signs as they've been told they're still in this severe pain and as you say their quality of life really impacted in terms of what they can do. Mark are you finding similar patterns? Yes exactly I'm, I'm completely in line with uh, what said James um, one one sign I uh, often uh, see in, in France is the patient who is coming with a list of the different brand names of high drops that have been tested for the five last years, and the list is over 20, and the, always the, the, with always the same message, I tried everything, nothing is working. In some cases, I've already uh, tried some uh, non-pharmacological um, uh, treatments like IPL for a little bit, think about uh, uh, going to... Uh, uh, um, uh, yoga or other exercise like this. And, and, and if this helps in their uh, experience, I take this into consideration, not only as a possible way to treat them, but also as a, a, a good sign for the positive diagnosis of neuropathic pain, because we know that it is part of the treatment. So I actually want to flip the conversation a little bit, because you've talked about all the ways that people are misdiagnosed and neuropathic pain is missed. But when they come to you, then they're looking for the diagnosis. What are some of the other things that you rule out that could masquerade as chronic ocular surface pain, but that if, even if there's a neuropathic component, it's not all neuropathic. So what are some of the masqueraders of neuropathic ocular pain? Well, in my experience, I, I, I have um, been also um, in difficulties with some diagnosis because I was not uh, sure about the diagnosis when I saw the patient for the first time. And it is uh, when seeing again the patient that I, I was able to put the diagnosis on. And it was the case, for, for example, in Tigerson's disease, uh, this is a keratitis epiteliopathy of the cornea that can be very, very painful. But when you are, you are not at the time of the flare of the epitelitis, you can uh, miss the diagnosis. The same for um, uh, blepharospasm uh, that can be very difficult to be uh, diagnosed at the diagnosed at the beginning because the the, the crisis of blepharospasm is not so frequent. But however, the the pain associated with the blepharospasm is almost continuous. And for me, it's not completely a neuropathic pain. But because if you do something on the blepharospasm, it will decrease by far the the, the pain. And also with the Kogan disease or mapped up um, and fingerprints uh, keratopathy or epithelial membrane basement uh, uh, keratopathy, which is also a chronic disease that can masquerade neuropathic disease. But if you try to um, improve the, con the condition of the cornea, this, this will help the patient. I think those are some fantastic pearls that we're still looking for anatomic abnormalities underlying inflammation, so important. James, what have been some of your masqueraders? Yeah, I would I would describe them similarly to, to Mark. So those sorts of conditions, again, it comes back to what you said right at the beginning about being a, a, a detective, um, to having a really good look at the cornea and the adnexia. So how are those lids interacting with the ocular surface to make sure that there aren't other things that could be causing this chronic pain that you're seeing? All right. Well, I love it. So I think the messages are important, detective, and we still need to be 
uh, good clinicians and look for masquerades. I think those are really fantastic pearls needed to really help deliver precision medicine to our patients and improve their quality of life. Dr. Labatou, Dr. Wolfson, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of International Perspectives on Chronic Ocular Surface Pain. I know that I learned a lot. Listeners, pay attention to your podcast feeds. There will be two more episodes in this mini-series. Subscribe on your podcast platform of choice to make sure you get them. For now, I'm Anaka Lore. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs>